You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 118. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. In today's episode, you will meet Nianis Maria Alos Barreto, or you can call her Nia for short. She is an epidemiologist and a podcaster. She's got a really interesting story, and I'm excited to bring her on the podcast. We worked for quite a while trying to coordinate our schedules and timing because she lives in Hawaii, and we have quite a few hours difference between us in terms of time zone. And once we did finally coordinate the time and day, then we had all sorts of other issues with background noises and just all sorts of things going on trying to interrupt our flow. But we managed to complete the interview, and it is really good. I think you really enjoy hearing her story. I really enjoy meeting with her and learning more about all that she's doing. So let me tell you a bit more about her background, and then I'll connect the interview. Nianis is an infectious disease epidemiologist focusing on vector-borne diseases. She received her bachelor's degree in biology with a concentration in biomedical sciences from the University of Puerto Rico and her master's of public health with a concentration in epidemiology from the University of Texas Health Science Center School of Public Health. After receiving her master's, she completed a two-year fellowship in applied epidemiology at the Hawaii Department of Health. Now, besides her work as an epidemiologist, she currently hosts a public health and health humanities podcast where she uses science, communication, and storytelling tools to promote health and wellness within the Hispanic and Spanish-speaking community. Her podcast is entirely in Spanish. I'll let her tell you more about that. But before I connect the interview, I'd like to share a special offer from Audible. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Audible has an amazing selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. What I love about Audible is that I'm able to listen to professional development books while I'm on my early morning walk every day. It's a great way for me to learn while I'm exercising. There are so many categories to choose from. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash public health. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash public health for your free audiobook. Well, today I am very excited to welcome my special guest to the podcast, uh, Nianist. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being awake so early to meet with me. Um, You guys don't realize this, but at the time of the recording, in order to coordinate this well, Nianis got up and was on a call with me at 7 a.m. She's in Hawaii. So uh, extra thank you for that. (laughs) No problem. I'm an early riser. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, if you wouldn't mind, just start out by telling the audience a bit about yourself, you know, what you do, you know, what you've done before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right now I am working as a 
vector-borne disease epidemiologist. And the way I got here, it's crazy because uh, public health wasn't even in my radar when I was an undergrad. I started my in biomedical sciences, uh, and then I graduated from the University of Puerto Rico, the Aguadilla campus. And then after that, I started my PhD. Uh, I started a PhD in cell and molecular biology at the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, but there, I realized that, that I didn't really like it as much as I thought I was going to like it. So I'm like, I want out. I know I'm not going to finish my PhD in cell molecular biology. It's just a matter of time for me to leave the program. So I decided to leave after I finished my first year rotations. And there I talked with a graduate assistant that was working with me. And then she suggested, oh, why don't you look into public health? And at the time... I don't know. I I had no idea what public health was. I don't know what she saw in me that prompted her to suggest public health, but I'm actually really grateful uh, because after that, I left the program, I returned back home, and I started looking into public health, and I started looking into epidemiology because I thought from all the, the areas within public health, epidemiology seemed like the better option for me to transition from science into public health. And then I researched, I really wanted to go back to Austin. And then I applied to the UT Health Sciences Center School of Public Health. And then they have a campus in Austin for School of Public Health. And then I applied, I got in and that's how I got my my MPH. And that's how I got into epidemiology. Oh, that's great. So you learned through experience, you know, you tried one route, you started pursuing cell molecular biology, realized it wasn't for you and pivoted and found a great spot. That's really good. So like, at what point did you really decide that, you know, this was the actual, like public health was really going to become your career? Well, I guess it was, Two times, once when I was researching public health, and then it was like, I saw this ad, it was like a promotional video for this is public health, uh, this is public health campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then someone there in that video said something about you are only as healthy as the world around you. And that's when everything clicked. I'm like, oh my God, that's so right. Yeah. So that got me really excited to keep researching about public health uh, and about epidemiology and what everything, like everything public health does. And that campaign was right because everything is public health, basically. And then the second time that confirmed my decision was when I, when I was actually in the program and I was working with, uh, it was, I was taking classes and then one of the professors Professor was interested in like physical activity for health and got me involved in a project teaching like kids and parents how to eat healthier, how to be more active. And I thought, oh, I really love this. Uh, this is so much fun. It's satisfying. I'm helping people. And um, it's just a great field. And that's when I, I decided oh, I want to keep going. 
Yeah, that's great. Both of those examples are great. I guess that's kind of proves that those campaigns are effective. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, let's just dig in a little bit here. Um, I'm curious to know how your previous roles helped you prepare for your transition into like what you're doing now. Well, one of the things that I really like about public health is that it's so varied. Like I mentioned before, everything is public health. So I got the chance to experience like different things before arriving uh, where I am currently in my career. During my master's, I started out as a casual data collector for the core project. That's the, the project that I was telling you about. That's the CDC Childhood Obesity Research Demonstration. And uh, that really helped me develop my interpersonal skills. And it helped me understand the, the importance of data and why data is collected in a certain way. I know collecting data and asking people questions, like really long questionnaires, it's, it's not as glamorous, but people have to understand that collecting data is a skill and not everyone has that skill. It's really hard to get information out of people sometimes and get them to trust you. So true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then also in my master's, I did my practicum under uh, a project called Activate, which is a school-based intervention designed to prevent tobacco use and promote physical activity among 12 to 14-year-olds in Uruguay. And I didn't get to travel to Uruguay, unfortunately, but I helped with the translation and part of the qualitative analysis. It was really, really fun because I got to, to see how a program starts like from scratch, like when you have nothing, just the proposal, yes, yeah, right? You have to develop the materials and you have to work with a graphic designer and you have to take in mind the cultural the culture of that country. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, it was really, really, really fun. And I got to work with a team of people that, I mean, they were so amazing. There was a team in Uruguay. There was a team in Texas. Uh, I just had a lot of fun there. And at the same time, I was volunteering at the Texas Department of Health because I wanted more practical experience outside the world of academia. Um, I know academia can be, it's kind of like a bubble, I feel like. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and and some, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to, to apply that knowledge into like real world, into real life, oh, like problems, situations that like you have to deal with the, like all the bureaucracy from real uh, government agency. Uh, but yeah, I wanted that type of experience also. And after graduation, I worked as a nutrition educator for the Central Texas Food Bank. And while working there, I had, I mean, I had already applied to the CSTE CDC Fellowship. That's the Council for State and Territorial Epidemiologist Epidemiology Fellowship. And then while working as a nutrition educator for the food bank, I found out that I got accepted to the fellowship. And then I worked as a nutrition educator for seven months. And then I moved to Hawaii, uh, where I was placed for the epidemiology fellowship. Yeah, that's where you are now, right? 
Yeah, that's where I am now. During my fellowship, I focus on disaster epidemiology. And then, well, it was actually, my fellowship was on infectious disease epidemiology, but within infectious diseases, my mentor gave me an option to work on a disaster epidemiology project and do a community assessment. And after that, uh, the opportunity came to stay at the Hawaii Department of Health, and this is where I am now. You can see that I went from data collection, qualitative data analysis, health education, community assessment design, and logistics to disease surveillance. That's really great. Yeah, you can see that all my experiences were very different, and all of them prepared me for my current position as a vector-borne disease epidemiologist. Oh, that's a great story, because very broad, but still very specific experiences. And yeah, definitely, I can see how all that really shaped you into being really well prepared for what you're doing. And that's a that's an exciting journey. Of course, I'm a little partial to all the epi stories, but um, that's really uh, a very exciting journey. I like fun experiences, it sounds like, too. Oh, so much fun. Although it would have been would have been nice if you could have traveled to Uruguay, but you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, given all of that, like what population or like condition or public health problem are you most passionate about now? Okay, so it's hard. It's hard, right? Uh, right now I don't have a very specific area that I'm passionate about, but I do find that working with the Hispanic community and the Spanish-speaking community, I mean, working with that community, with that population, really, I identify a lot with them. So it makes it easier. It drives me. Uh, but I also find that physical activity for public health and disaster epidemiology are, for me, very attractive areas to work in. Um, but right now I'm focusing on vector-borne diseases and I'm also really enjoying it. Oh, that's really great. So we didn't really talk about this ahead of time, but I'm just curious, what is, with vector-borne diseases in Hawaii, what is one of the biggest challenges that you face in terms of, you know, the vectors? Okay, so we don't have, like, dengue, zika, and chikungunya. They're not endemic to Hawaii, right? But we do have the, the vector. We have Aedes aegypti and we have Aedes albopictus. And based on our location, right, we are in a tropical, we live in a tropical environment. We are very popular with tourists. So we get a lot of travelers from, from all over the world, uh, especially from Asia, the Pacific Islands. And I don't know if, you've, if you're aware, but they're having big dengue outbreaks uh, over there. So I think educating the public, making sure that if they get sick, they go to the doctor, uh, because if they don't go to the doctor, there's no way we have to really find out who's getting sick, right? So there's always that chance of introduction of a vector-borne disease, like whether that is dengue, Zika, chikungunya. And of course, we had a recent outbreak of dengue in 2015, so... We learn from that experience, and I think now we are doing a lot of disease surveillance, passive surveillance, uh, based on that experience that we experienced, yeah, back then. That's interesting to just, uh, just a little interesting side note there. 
So um, I'm going to shift a little bit because I want to ask you, um, you have a very interesting passion project that you've been really engaged in. I do. And I'd love for you to share about that. Please tell the audience what I'm referring to. (laughs) Well, I host a podcast in Spanish, and that's where I talk about public health and health humanities. And if you don't know what health humanities are, um, it's a field that that uses art and philosophy and history and storytelling and theater to talk about health, to talk about public health or talk about disease and try to understand diseases uh, and certain health behaviors that we have. And it's a podcast. I am the single host, but I do bring in professionals from the health, wellness, and medical humanities fields, and then I ask them questions. I know I wanted to talk about, last year, I wanted to talk about depression in elderly people, so I brought in a gerontologist friend of mine, and uh, we had uh, lots of fun just talking about the topic, and what I love about it is the acceptance it has had uh, within the Spanish-speaking community. They write to me telling me, oh, your podcast, it makes me think, and, or I learned so much. Thank you about talking about these topics. And yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing uh, because I feel like I am fulfilling the, the whole goal of the podcast, and that is to use science communication and storytelling to promote health and wellness within the Hispanic and Spanish-speaking community. Um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to, to do the podcast in Spanish, because I feel there are lots of podcasts, lots of podcasts in English that talk about health and wellness, and some talk about public health, some about epidemiology, but in Spanish, there are not that many. And as a public health professional, it's a really good way for me to practice my health communication skills and like health education and I don't know, like just working more directly with people. Yeah, I love it. I think that was one of the things that caught my attention. We are a part of a Twitter community. We follow each other on Twitter. And I think that was one of the things that stood out when I um, first connected with you was was your podcast in Spanish, and I thought, man, that that's great. Of course, I'm fascinated by that. I'm not I have very broken Spanish, limited <laughs> Spanish, so I can't. <laughs> but um, but I can certainly 100 percent understand the mission, and and I know that it's important, and I think it's great that you're doing this. I I've had a few people reach out to me that I've worked with in terms of career coaching that have expressed interest in starting a podcast um, for the Spanish community. And I encourage because we, you know, there's definitely room for more and whatever perspective they bring to, you know, wanting to raise awareness of health issues among the Spanish speaking community is important. Yes. What is the name of the podcast? Oh, it's called Mejor con Guanabanas. That literally translate better with sour socks. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I didn't know the translation, so that's cute. I will link to your podcast in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and curious, um, you'll be able to connect with her podcast in the show notes. But um, yeah, thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate that you are 
spreading your wings and following your passion and serving in that way. It's really important. Oh, yeah. I'm really glad people are people are liking it. Yeah. I was so scared, so scared when I hit publish because <laughs> it's scary. Because you're like, oh, my God, it's out there. Are people going to like it? Are they going to accept me? But no, the, like I said, the Spanish-speaking community, like the podcasting world like in Spanish, they're very, very welcoming. Yeah. You know, it's because there are not that many podcasts in Spanish. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah, we, we have to stick together. That's right. That's where the power comes, you know, uplifting one another and supporting the cause. So I know that there are a lot of members of my community listening now who are Spanish speaking and are excited to hear about this and will definitely be reaching out and connecting with you. So I'm very happy to um, help you promote that message in your podcast and what you're doing. Definitely keep it up. Okay, so I'm going to transition. I can get all kind of geeky about the podcasting thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would like to ask you um, to share some advice. So thinking about the students first who are listening to the podcast, there are public health students who are you know working on their degrees and, of course, interested in careers in public health. Maybe they know what they want to do or maybe they're still trying to figure that out. Um, do you have any uh, advice that you can share for students? I do. Uh, and these are advice that I wish <laughs> I had when, I mean, I guess I follow some of them, but I really wish someone had told me back then. Yeah. So number one, be very flexible. If, like, if you see an opportunity at your school to get some work experience, but it's not exactly the field that you're interested in, I would still recommend giving it a try because you never know who you're going to meet or what skills you're going to acquire, right? For example, the example of being a data collector, like interviewing is a skill. It's a skill like a good interviewer can get information out of a rock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Number two, Seek out volunteer opportunities outside school and outside your practicum. It might seem like extra work, but I mean, like it's totally worth it because public health is, it's so diverse. Absolutely. You know, you, yeah, you don't want to just stay within your research project or within academia. Uh, you want to go out there because most of the jobs are going to be outside academia. Yeah, that's a great advice. That's a great point. And I, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second to just, you know, kind of, you know, echo that because most people do view it as extra work and get overwhelmed, but it is so worth it. And it's a tremendous payoff when you can go out. Your practicum is a great opportunity, great experience, but it, you need more than that because it gives you the opportunity to apply what you're learning and know what you really like. You know, you won't know until you get in the field in some capacity and get some experience. Yeah, that's true. And the third advice would be, I follow this one, but it would be apply for fellowships. I mean, they are a great, great way to get your foot in the door, especially for epidemiology. There are different types of fellowships. They do not have to be specifically for epidemiology, but other fellowships like related to public health will give you very hands-on applied experience. 
Uh, also, and this would be my last advice, is go go the thesis route. <laughs> I At least when I was a student, I had the option to go to do a thesis or do a capstone project, uh, capstone course. And I went the capstone course route and I wish I could have done the thesis route because if you, let's say that you, you don't apply to any fellowships and you're straight out of school, doing the thesis route, it gives you the experience of doing a quantitative analysis or qualitative analysis. It shows that you can work on a project on your own and get that data analysis experience. That's a good point, uh, especially for people that are, you know, really pursuing like an epidemiology track. That's really good, good advice there. So let's think about the people who have, they're already graduated, they've already completed their degree, and maybe some time has passed, and they're just trying to get into the field of public health. Is there any advice that you would have for those people? Well, if they graduated and they're still, well, it depends if they graduated within like five years. So they can still apply to some fellowships. You are still considered a recent graduate, I think up to five years after graduation. So I would say like apply to fellowships. And if it's been more than five years, I would say like volunteer volunteer like or start a passion project like like we are doing right uh, yeah become an expert in something some area of public health that you really really like I like that advice um, you are definitely um, an example of a lot of what you speak about I mean you've got your you know a job that you enjoy and yet you are still filling in and pursuing your passion and demonstrating you know that thought leadership and taking that initiative you know, with your podcast, those are great ways to really make the most out of what you know and what you can bring to the community. So great advice. And you're a great walking example of that. <laughs> Thank you. So this has been great, um, great interview, great conversation. Thank you so much for just being here on the podcast and for sharing everything uh, with the audience and just talking about your journey and and these great pieces of advice. Um, I really appreciate you being here. And especially for getting up so early to meet with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to be here. I always get excited when I get invited to another podcast. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. A true podcaster right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I'd like to thank Nianis for joining me on this episode to discuss her public health career journey and for sharing such great advice and tips. I'd also like to thank her for the amazing resource that she's providing to the community through her podcast. Now, if you'd like to connect with her, just visit the show notes page for this episode, which is episode 118. Go directly to drchhuntley.com and click on podcast from the main menu, then navigate to episode 118. Remember that you can also click on the resources tab from the main menu and find the link to start your free audible trial. All right, everyone, until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. 
Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.